You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of Love of Pages, the newest book club podcast on Geek Elite Media. Oh, well, we're the only book club podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have high competition from all of the other book club podcasts on here. The number one book podcast on Geek Elite Media. So are back to finish up the time machine by H.G. Wells. I've got Jessica with me. Hey. And Steven. That's me. Uh, so this week we did chapter nine to the end, a whole 50 pages, 40. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a whole seven chapters. <laughs> a whole seven chapters it was a total of 48 pages. I've had single chapters that are longer than that in some books, but um, want to get started with our very first book club cocktail. Ooh, I've already drank like half of it. <laughs> <laughs> we may have had technical difficulties that required alcohol consumption slash cocktail consumption. Oh. I just want to point out they did start drinking the alcohol before the technical difficulties technically happened. So was it the fault of the alcohol? I don't know. We'll never know. He's <laughs> assisting us in solving the problems. Not <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Jessica, what is our lovely cocktail mocktail? It's an Elio Sunrise. So, I was thinking that Elio, they did this, you know, they basically lived off of what the scientist describes as fruit. So, it's a berry based cocktail because to me, berries always appear like they could possibly be futuristic. So, it's a very simple syrup with some gin, um, lemonade. A little bit of club soda to add some sparkle inside and um but yeah i'll be um there should be a video up that actually shows you how to make it yourself and it is quite refreshingly delicious definitely think i'm going to include it in my summer beverage consumption because <laughs> normally my problem with things that have like because you include a triple berry simple syrup that you made for us mm-hmm. and normally my problem is, is those get so Sticky sweet when it comes to mixed cocktails, mocktails. Yeah. Surprisingly not that sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the gin, the alcohol I chose, it it fit that quite a a bit. When I made it for my mom, I put vodka in it because she didn't like the gin flavor too much. And that one came out significantly sweeter. Um, And I also did have to, like, once I thought up the recipe, I did once I made it the first time, I had to adjust the amount of simple syrup that went in it because it was a bit much that first time I mixed it. So (laughs) it was definitely a little bit of trial and error because I I typically don't love super duper sweet cocktails either. But I think and I added in mint to it, too, because that's one of my like if it's summer, I add kind of mint to every single beverage that I make because it's just one of those easy ways to make something just feel 10 times fresher than it actually is. So I support it. I support it. So now that we have cocktail mocktails in hand, we are a full blown book club. 
mostly just into a gabbing session, but that's fine. We're going to try in the podcast to, to actually focus on the uh, part of the book club. So stay with us, everybody. No, wait, I'm totally distracted right now by Steven's cup. What is on your cup? Uh, it's uh, Captain America. Oh, I just I thought. It's Chris Evans. Dude, I used to buy those cups like every single birthday party that we threw at my house. Like whoever's birthday it was got one of those cups <laughs> and they drank. I used to have so many of those cups. This, I got so I the roommates that I have here. When I first moved here, um, I didn't bring like any of my silverware, like any, any nothing with me, absolutely nothing. So I got here, and this makes up almost the entirety of the cups in the entire house, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> they're great solid cups they last forever like, <laughs> you know the, the graphics will be gone but the cup will remain yeah that sounds about right that sounds <laughs> so Stephen, this book as we discussed in the last podcast is yours mm-hmm. so want to jump in I think I think we want to jump in yes um how do you want this to go? What are you... So for this one, like, neither of you got, or one of you had read this book before, I believe, or seen the movie at the very least. You had read, read the book, you had seen the movie? I've I seen the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so yeah, for that one, how was the ending for you guys? <laughs> like, just just in general, coming back to it as the book, and you having seen the movie before, how did this ending work out for you? Actually, and also as a writer, how did this ending work out for you? <laughs> it did not. Um, as a reader, it did not work out for me at all. As a writer, <laughs> I guess it was kind of interesting of an ending. The the cliffhangerness of it was kind of a nice, interesting ending. But as a reader, no, I did not enjoy this ending at all. And for you, Elizabeth, as a person who's revisiting this one. I actually hated the ending more this time than when I first read it. Now, do you think this is because your time has become more valuable to you at this age? <laughs> and so it felt like more was being taken from you? Um, I think it's more of a um, upset with the lack of everybody else's actions. Hmm. So I I guess to kind of jump to the end, the time traveler basically states the fact that, you know, Weena, 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 yeah, you know, dies or he presumes she died. It's it's such a small thing. It's literally like he says something along the lines like, I hope she burned alive instead of gotten eaten alive. And I'm like. (laughs) What the fuck? I was like, she held your hand. Blows <laughs> right past that. He jumps all the way to the end of the earth, essentially, the end of time for the earth, and then jumps all the way back. And he wraps up this story. Not one person questions why he didn't go back to see if Weena survived or to help them out. Nobody questions him on the validity of his story. They basically all either just write it off or just accept it like nobody questions any i'm like you are supposed to be a group of the most enlightened of your age like you shouldn't you shouldn't be saying things like cool story bro <laughs> right? I, 
I mean, that might have been the most enlightened people of their age. I mean, because like even the first time around, yeah, I kind of hated the time traveler as as the, the person that he was, but I became a lot more upset with the lack of conviction of everybody else in the room <laughs> reading it this time around. I was like, no, no, no. You have a responsibility. Like, particularly the journalists in the room, you have a responsibility to ask some serious questions. Yeah. Not, not like one of them at least raised their hand and I was like, okay, I see you had these matches. Why didn't you once think to make a torch? Like, <laughs> none of them. That would have been the first thing. I was like, you know, you could make a torch, right? It lasts significantly longer. There were, there were a lot of things. light it with the match. Yeah, like really anything. I mean, honestly, like in in the museum of things that were there, like I, I know that obviously there are only so many things that he's going to recognize from the totality of human history and everything. Mm-hmm. But like he sees matches and is like, "Yep, that's it." Matches in the crowbar. Else? Got yeah. it. <laughs> no one saw anything else. I mean, well, I don't. Uh, um. Oh God, what's the name of the chemical? Yeah, I have to. I don't have the book handy. I'm sorry. No, my biggest problem is, is I refuse to write in books. So really I should be taking notes while I read this, but I read this on my lunch break at work. So I don't (laughs) take notes, but I refuse to write or highlight in books. I find it just a complete desecration. And I'm very clear that that's just a me thing. No, 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 That's a me thing also. I I could never do it. Yeah. I don't like doing it in fiction books. Mm -mm. (laughs) um, For this one, the, one of the things that we had talked about is, Kind of the, like at, at every single turn, there's something where it's why didn't he this uh, for both the the character of the time traveler and the writer? Yeah, and I still to this day going through the story, I don't fully understand the idea of the Sphinx at all. I I don't think any of us do, and my guess is that he's describing a Sphinx. Because it's foreign to Londoners at the time. I mean, that's How fair. Yeah, to represent some far-flung iconography. Because <laughs> if if we try to look at anything else, like if it's supposed to be just like a giant piece of statuary kind of thing that has tech stuff happening inside of it, at this point in time, there are a lot of things that could serve this purpose. Like if if he just so happened to end up in like Japan somewhere. Did, yeah. Would they have pulled his time machine into the foot of a Gundam? Like, I... <laughs> yeah, um, it's a uh, camphor. Uh okay for for the oil. For the oil. Yeah. But even still, that's like, why no torch? Like you you yeah. saw all that paper, and while we just discussed desecration of books, he did make the explicit statement that all of the words had fallen off the pages at this point in history. Yeah. So, Accepting that they are blank pieces of paper. <laughs> for, for also, for the the museum of like human history and everything, honestly, this is one of the ones where I think the movie did a more interesting thing with this than oh. the book did. Okay, like so far and away. What happened in the movie version of this museum? Like, so you, what do you see? Jess, you want to take this one? It's been a while. I. I only vaguely remember the so, movie, so you're going to need to take it. In this one, um, it's the the museum is actually more of a thing that he interacts with at a couple different points in history. So the, the they have a the actor. I forget his name right now. Um, uh, I think he was the guy that was also in. Um, 
uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Am I wrong? I don't remember. But uh, there's a person who who plays an AI that lives in this like pane of glass kind of thing. Um, that he, that he interacts right. with, it, like interacts with, and that's really interesting because then the person sees him later. Uh, he he sees him at this time when um, they show uh, humanity and like the Earth or the Earth, the Moon is being uh, like torn asunder, and it's this big cataclysmic event that they that he like checks in at basically in the future, and then he um, he meets that library at this other time where the library is still in normal working order um and then later on it's like um all like a bunch of the panes of glass that the ai thing would normally go to and exist in are broken and otherwise defective Mm -hmm. and he still recognizes the guy from when he came through before and that's an interesting one yeah so I think that's I think that's going to play into because I, I think our footnotes today is going to be like, how would this be updated? And it sounds like the movie did just that. Uh-huh. Like when H.G. Wells was writing this, the concept of an AI librarian would not have been even in the realm of science fiction. Like there's mm-hmm. couldn't comprehend such a thing. Um, so the museum is definitely the most interesting part to me in this, but I guess we should go first back to when he discovers because chapter nine it gets alluded to in chapter eight but chapter nine is where we first meet really meet the morlocks Mm -hmm. so who else was creeped out by his description of human spiders yeah i don't like that one see i I don't like that one with the original thing i was picturing like Super albino, kind of sort of tallish, lanky lemurs. That's what I was picturing with like red eyes and sharp teeth. That, and then he said spiders, and I was like, I don't know what picture now. <laughs> like, do they have more limbs? Like, I know. I was like, what? No, 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 no. They have more locks. <laughs> I don't know. He like also first said he said so many things. He was like, like the worms that live in caves, and I was like, what? It's just for them, just for them being albino. Kentucky, the what? Huh? The fish that live in ca- caves in Kentucky. He says that. Yeah, it's yeah, like and, and it's like it's oh like, yeah, the universal experience of yeah. cave fish things in Kentucky. Thank you. Thank well, you. must have went on vacation to Kentucky and then to Egypt and then came back and wrote this. Like she <laughs> well writing this in the early twentieth century, right? Mm-hmm. Place in the mid nineteenth century. Am I wrong? I, that's what I've always been book. Yeah, so if I remember correctly, a Londoner would actually know about even a worldly Londoner would know about cave fish in Kentucky. Like, I mean, Kentucky wouldn't have been a state. He's still he's still under like it, like. Time, like publishing dates, you know. <laughs> at, at a certain point, you start thinking what's important for getting something across to the reader versus just getting this fucking book done. <laughs> all right, all right. So something was sad. Yeah. No, no. This Wait, was written why? as periodical, so yeah, maybe mm-hmm. that changes things too. But maybe there was some article about some guy who went to Kentucky and saw worms in a cave and H.G. Wells went on my next episode. Honestly, that's not that's not a bad way to look at that one in, in all seriousness though, because um, there are certain things that just get passed around in science fiction. 
uh, in writing, in movies, books, anything um, that just become a trend for like a solid decade. The yeah. one we're living through right now is that every single sci-fi thing ever has tardigrades in it. All of them. Has T- tardigrades, uh, water bears. Um, they're they're these they're extremophiles, so they can live anywhere in space, uh, anything like that. They just they like they can make it through. Um, they can be in the most extreme of environments. They're actually one of the things that are theorized to have seeded life in different places, things like that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and so if you, um, they have them in, in comic articles. Yeah. They, they look like they're like little, like six armed things in <laughs> containment suits. They're adorable. Yeah. I know what you're talking uh, about now. Yeah. Current Tardy grades are in everything. <laughs> so yeah, like they're like that kind of thing in the nineties and the two thousands, we had it. Everything was some kind of, temporal displacement for everything so this might have just been a thing that was popular in journals at the time okay possibly like the discovery of albino creatures discovery of creatures that see no sunlight possibly mm-hmm. well i guess we would have because early 20th century world war one you're just getting the creation of the concept of submarines and scuba gear mm-hmm very primitive form so that would make sense speaking there there was a crazy fish i saw the other day that that thing's nuts but that's neither here nor there (laughs) (laughs) tangents are perfectly welcome (laughs) so like with this one though was there was there anything that was the biggest surprise for you in in getting to the ending for this elizabeth um I honestly think that I, when I initially read it, I glossed over the fact that he never went back for Weena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Despite having stated in chapter eight about this all taking place the night before she was rescued. Like he, he keeps saying that he rescued her, but he doesn't actually rescue her. Well, he, he rescued her from that. Well, for, from and life itself. <laughs> what well, was it? Was it not the the rescue of her in the water? No. So, like in chapter eight, he talked about how he slept with her even up until the night before she was taken and rescued. Hmm. I do not remember that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I ran across it, it last time, and I was like, rescues her. Yeah, that's not what I remember. And then I read it, and I was like, yeah, no. No, he doesn't rescue her. Like, there's no rescue. There's just a fire. Like, <laughs> this is baloney. <laughs> like, and she doesn't disappear either. Like, onto fire. She 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 becomes fire. One of two things occurred: either she burned alive, or the Murlocs ate her. <laughs> like, that's those are the options <laughs> in in um some of the things that you'll see for wrap-ups of the book like spark notes and things like that um one of the ways that they refer to what happens to weena is that she like he loses her and i don't know if that's an apt term for the situation that we actually have here oh, technically true dragged her along into danger and she clearly was not comfortable with it and he was like I had my crowbar in one hand and my weena in the other <laughs> <laughs> and also 
like (laughs) undercurrent of sexual tension with somebody who he also perceives as childlike is still very disturbing. I know. I was like, okay, cool. But then it just became a little sexualized and I was just like, oh. And then when I was just... Because once it got to Weena, just, like, possibly burning alive, I thought I might have, like, read it wrong or something. So I, like, searched on the internet to what happened to Weena. <laughs> and I found out there's, like, a 1960s version movie, apparently, of this. And Weena is played by a very gorgeous blonde actress. <laughs> <laughs> and is very sexualized. And I was like, okay. I mean, that also makes sense for the time period for science fiction films, too. Yeah. No, I don't, um, one of the things that, that I got from reading this again is that I do indeed love classic science fiction writing, but also I hate classic science fiction writing. <laughs> like I, I went to a store today um, here in the Phoenix area called Bookman, Bookman's, which is a fantastic store. Uh, and they have a bunch of classic science fiction um, like uh, pulp periodicals. Okay. Um, from a couple different publishers, one of them being Analog, which has a bunch of Arthur C. Clarke writing, which is, ooh, choice, finger, chef's kiss. Uh, and I was like, I want to buy all of these. And I I, hel- I was holding a couple of them, and I was like, no, I'm not going to read these right now. I, I am full of having done this recently. <laughs> well, except you, there's always room on the shelf. You just buy them and you stash them. And no. yeah, do, you, do you know how big my to-be-read pile is right now? Yeah. It, like, there, there's literally a table. There's a but table. There, the, there, this table right here, that's over there. This mm-hmm. one, that, those are the books and comic books that I haven't read yet. They, have, they, they sit by my door so that I, rem- I have to look at them and remember my shame every morning when I go past them. Yeah. The thing. Like with crafting, you have two separate hobbies: buying books and reading books. They're two I don't, I don't, separate hobbies. <laughs> I don't. I don't subscribe to the craft mom idea of whoever dies with the most yarn wins. I don't. I'm not that person. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Whoever does die with the most books wins. So, <laughs> and, well, plus I've got this like. The, there's always this problem when you stand in the bookstore, and it's like all these books calling to you to be read. And then you think about all of the books at home in the to be read pile. And then you think about all of the books on the bookshelf that are just like, you're just going to reread me anyway. these books, But yeah. you're just going to reread me. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But it, the, this whole COVID-19 thing, staying home a little bit more. Yeah. I, you know what I, I was like, Oh good. Time to read. No, what I did, I reread so many things. <laughs> Did not. I think I read one new book, maybe two, and then this. Goodbye. <laughs> I ordered more books too. I still have to read them. I'm telling you, there is nothing. You could think of them as two separate hobbies. One is collecting the books, the other is reading the books. And they should be considered two separate hobbies. And you can have both. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I, I want to be at least proficient at one of them and then i'll start examining the other no 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 you just gotta do it all <laughs> i mean what's the complete saying jack of all trades master, master of none, but it's better than being master of one mm-hmm. I, I i'll take that one except i mean if you're a master of one at least you can get paid to do that one task if i'm only like moderately okay at six things like I start a task at that one thing. Uh, someone offers me money. I fail at it. Then I have to give a portion of the money back. I, 
I mean, except if you're moderately good at six things, you're then employable by corporate America. It's fair. <laughs> you don't get bored. And, um, I don't know. Like, what were some of the other things that you guys like found interesting for this one? So one of the things that always strikes me is the fact that the museum is made of porcelain. Porcelain, and mm-hmm. um, that doesn't last long. Of like, at so all. what happened to our steel buildings? Like, because we still build stuff out of steel a century later. Like, steel is still king. I mean, steel would still slowly be taken over by the earth. For, but, like, most definitely no, porcelain. porcelain. Like, <laughs> like, if porcelain's not going to be, neither is steel. Like, I'm I'm sorry. My porcelain, porcelain yeah. kind of breaks far yeah. more easily than my, <laughs> than my where, steel. Yeah. My I, stainless steel silverware does. Yeah, that's where I didn't, like, quite... Like, to me, I was like, maybe he's describing porcelain because H.G. Wells doesn't have a word for, like, a futuristic stone metal. Okay. Yeah, it, it could be, like, I, more of, like, a polymer or something. Yeah, I was so picturing, like, like almost like a jade-colored, like, metal polymer, like, kind of thing. And because you, you can, when you're writing futuristic sci-fi, it is hard to think of a new word for some new material that doesn't quite exist. Well, I mean, I guess I, I it. it sucks. <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, because what we know about how long it takes for plastics to deteriorate, that mm-hmm. some form of a yeah. polymer could withstand longer than steel. I just imagine ceramic. I know it, it's not porcelain, but that's what I imagine for it. Like, really intense ceramic. So that would handle... Um, like anything for like crazy high heats and everything mm-hmm. like super high polish. But I also have this weird idea of ceramic in my mind left over from Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, where all of the knives and blades are made out of ceramic. And I, ever since I was a little kid, I've just totally conflated the idea of ceramic with other materials. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, that was always, that's always been the part that struck me. I'm like, who would build a museum out of porcelain? Like, that's not sturdy. Yeah, that's where, I, that's where I actually thought it was, like, intention, intentionally wrongly described, I suppose, as, is what I went with. I mean, int- intentionally, like, giving someone a description of something that's wrong only to subvert it, I think, is a good one. But just wrong, and then hoping the person realizes that something is like how they're processing it yeah. is a much harder one to pull off rather than someone being like this, this idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you mean like what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's a harder one to skirt. I don't know. Like I, I've talked about it more than once for you guys already as a possibility for a future book, but the, the book um, ancillary, it's a ancillary justice, ancillary mm-hmm. sword um where the the one of the characters describes these people as being other genders because it's really bad at distinguishing genders is still one of my favorite thing like favorite realizations in something <laughs> that was a good one so w- would you guys recommend this book to other people at this point uh, one person and that's Who? she likes classics um <laughs> My my friend Lexi, 
she's read like Frankenstein and Dorian Gray. And so she's read other classic sci-fi. So she's a better person than me for being able to make it through the portrait of Dorian Gray. (laughs) Yeah. We know how I feel about Dorian Gray, but, um, I kind of feel like it's one of those ones you should slog through. Like, no doubt, I don't think it's a good read. It for it's a good this one. This one. Okay. But it's a good thought exercise. It's a it's a good example of prose. Yeah. That's the thing I take this one for. I like I still stand by the idea that this is one of if I had written this, I would have been so proud of having skirted so many of the necessary conventions of writing a story with this and just the way they chose to describe it. Like imagine being the first person who wrote a book in the way that um, books like the Martian and things like that are written where it's purely just dialogue and like action being described by dialogue. I would have felt like the smartest, most inventive writer in the entire world. (laughs) <laughs> and I feel like that's how H.G. Wells felt with this one it's okay to have been proud of yourself yeah yes you should you should be proud of the things that you do um, but yeah no it's definitely it's definitely a rough one what about you Stephen? would you recommend it not to most people uh, I think if there was someone who reads a lot of books just in general it's possible um, but it would probably be to a person who does write. Okay. Like as an exercise. Mm-hmm. So thinking of exercises, I had a thought for today's footnote. What do you think would change in the story if H.G. Wells was writing it today? Like, would there be anything different noticed in the museum? Would the observations of Weena and the Morlocks change at all? One of the things that I, I thought of is is I think the initial assumption of utopia would have changed would not be the initial assumption. I because think the prevalence of communism at the time. So I think because at the time that this is written, you've got the rise of communism, Marxism, the thought process of social utopia well and hg wells himself was a socialist so exactly yeah and i think today if you were writing it today you would write it much more cynically you would write the time traveler much more cynical Mm. and would think of them as a true regression Mm -hmm. of the human race and you would think of oh there must have been some sort of nuclear holocaust or volcanic eruption and total desolation of the human population or you know any of those things that I think if you were writing this today that would be the initial assumption as to who the Eloi were like and, like oh good I was gonna say I, I definitely would have gotten to a point where I would think like oh they're they're smaller like humanity shrunk because of a lack of nutrition or something like that yeah. and they, they were in a smaller area because of some like weather cataclysm, you know? Yeah. Like I, I would be looking, I would be on the lookout for some kind of like bubble that is sustaining this one 
kind of Second. utopia space. Yeah. And then assume that everything beyond that is just desolation. Yeah. Anything yeah. else you think would update? I, f- I feel like the the very ending of the world would have been described better. Just because <laughs> like he, he describes that world with the crabs and the sun being still. And I was like, you would not be able to stop. Like, you would die in an instant if that was how the world actually was. So I, I feel like there would have been a more realistic ending to the world. And if I remember from the movie, the issue in the movie that ended the world was the moon base, mm-hmm. which I think was for the time when the movie came out, very realistic of a ending for humanity. It was basically a moon base made the moon explode. And I, and then like sort of the civilization of the future was sort of like, a reawakening of humanity again. So it was almost like the cavemen, if I remember it correctly, almost like cavemen again, but yeah, it's a simplistic, no technology world, but still thriving, still intelligent too, if I remember correctly. But yeah, it was weird. The way that they showed the people who were above ground in that one uh, and the ones that were below ground, it was an odd one, but I think the below ground version of things um, where there's like a smart, overlord kind of person mm-hmm. with their big like yeah. dumb glute kind of henchman people also was a good version of the below ground yeah because to me it doesn't make the regression of it like especially thing of evolution it doesn't make sense because one of the things that puts us over other animals and creatures is our cortex like just how complex our brain is the brain's not going to dumb down. It's not going to get simpler. It's going to get more and more advanced. So mm-hmm. to me, the movie made a lot more sense in the sense that we would be a lot more logical of a society over like, we, we wouldn't lose our intelligence. Like that's not what would have happened. We wouldn't. Except for unless you think of, cause one of the things that gave us our central cortex is fire. And the ability to cook our food so that the amount of energy needed to process mm-hmm. food and digest food could be significantly reduced so mm-hmm. more energy was available for the development of a brain. Yeah. So if it stays true that fire, for whatever reason, is lost, nice. then it don't have enough. I, I, do, I do think that if this story were written now... Um, it just by pure convention of writing at this point, everything would have been over explained. They would have had names for everything. Like they would have gone super in depth with the societal origin of these other, the, of the Morlocks and everything. Because as a person reading this now, I'm like, what, how would the Eloy exist like they do? Because all it takes is what, like, maybe 20 angry Morlocks and what they've described as the Eloy civilization would be gone. They, they would just get hungry and the Eloy are a very small meal. Yeah. I, I don't fully understand. Did, did he come? Like, was was that the last day of the Eloy when, when he got there? <laughs> did he cause their end? That actually yeah. would be an interesting theory. Like, he literally starts a massive fire in a forest. Yeah. And, and like, the, the Morlocks 
the Morlocks oh. had, had just decided to like encroach on the Eloy civilization and they came up and they just barbecued some Eloy that night. That's the end. And there's like the one last surviving Eloy that I don't know, died out, I guess. But I feel like that's what the logical conclusion or, about these last couple of days were. Or literally, because I think he describes the Morlocks run towards the fire. Wena runs towards the fire. I literally, I'm just saying, oh, they're just like a bunch of Eloy. Just like, what's that? Just running right at it. And also, it was like burning alive. Like, okay. Just, so, so taking Steven's premise, Jessica, mm-hmm. what would be... The societal structure you would write as because you're a writer. Oh God. Write. Don't put me on the spot. I hate <laughs> Steven to do the Morlocks. So I mean, they, there's is clear for me. I got this one. There's is clear. For, okay, you go first while Jessica's thinking then. I mean, this one, you can write the whole Morlock novel. I mean, it's right there. Like they their their society was slowly shrinking and shrinking and shrinking because of a lack of resources. Mm-hmm. Um because they were just shuttered away inside somewhere eating like whatever like glowy moss is growing on some rock somewhere down there. Uh, and then one of them is like a little bit smarter still the lat, the remnant of the, the smarter part of Morlocks as a recessive becoming a dominant just in him. Uh, and then he starts poking in towards the surface, finds his way up through the Sphinx and everything. Uh, and then deci- like um, when he tries to show someone else this, that he trusts, then that one, tells us like one of the other stupid morlocks and then a whole bunch of dumb lumbering morlocks come up and then go and eat all the eloy that he wanted to be friends with and was marveling at okay so society overruns their leader no i mean no 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 he, he was like a, a super young one a small a small morlock much more like the eloy you know okay he's the bridge he's the yeah bridge. yeah okay all right do the morlocks have as sophisticated a language as the eloy they har- have hardly any language whatsoever. Okay. So oh, Jim- no, they were they were smart enough to make a trap though for the time machine. I think they just drug the. I they just dragged it away. No, but they knew to open. No, they they to- knew they opened it for him to come in and created a trap for the time traveler. Hmm. So I feel like, He's and true. I think he, he says it. I think at the halfway point, he says something that his one of his first theories was that the the Eloy were basically cattle to the Morlocks. Yeah, which I mean is like, oh. still a possibility. Yeah, they probably don't slaughter them all at once because they want to preserve their yeah. food source. Yeah, I I really feel like that that probably is the likely it's their food source. They like let them to survive to the point that they can survive too. I think their demise was from the time traveler visiting them. I really think <laughs> they all die because of that time traveler. <laughs> so Jessica, just okay. So the Eloy are clearly initially the high class of society because they're the ones with the ability to live on the surface. Yeah. What causes their demise? What causes them to become the little tiny Eloy that they are that are helpless cattle to the Morlocks underground? Complacency. I, yeah, complacency, like ignorance. That's exactly what the time traveler felt was the the complacency. Yeah, this is actually, and now this is where like I looked a little bit about H.G. Wells because he was a writer I didn't know a lot about, and that's where I noticed, oh, he's a socialist. Everything makes sense now. The Eloy are those ignorant rich people just think they're living in happiness, and the Morlocks are like the poor people dying in the mines every day. 
And it's sort of like, this is what's going to happen if we stay this way, having so many these class differences, basically. And, you know, this is why we need an equality or believing that everybody is on the same page kind of thing. Because I think this is like the ultimate example of two different groups of people just at odds and ends and just not on even ground at all. Okay. So if we update the premise of how we get to the point in 800 and 2000, either by nuclear war or some sort of climate debacle, do we end up with two separate groups or do we end up with a single hierarchy or do we end up with communism, socialism? Like, what would be our assumption as current 21st century individuals? This one, I, I think it becomes like you end up with a society where like it's, it's, it's like now, you know, like um, 8,000 people do the things. So like Jeff Bezos as one person gets to go about his day, you know, um, like it's that kind of situation. And then you keep following that kind of thing. To the point where uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't want to give all his money to the people working for him. Automation happens. And then society runs for itself. Um, everything is still delivered. Everything is processed normally. Um, because it's all just AI doing things. Until it, no one knows how any of the machines that spit out food every single morning work. And then that just keeps going until a machine breaks. No one knows how to fix it. Society collapses. In my mind, that's how I would see this being written as a story of now. But in that automation, does society equalize enough that when it collapses, you don't have two separate groups? Or do you still end up with Eloys and Morlocks? I think you very much end up with that kind of thing. There'd be people, there'd be people who are servicing something, who still know how something works. Uh, and then the other people who are, you're like, like highfalutin hoity-toity people living in their part and those things just continue and sure there's some overlap here and there but by and large they operate as two separate things until forced to, to actually interact yeah so what we're saying is in a century we've learned nothing of course uh yeah <laughs> I think that's very clear in human history. <laughs> that's that's entirely clear. Pretty much how it is. Yeah. I want to put a pin on what we're <laughs> asserting. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely nothing changes. Are you kidding me? All of, all of humanity is us enjoying our vices, finding out that that vice was wrong, and then changing it like two degrees this way or that way to still keep enjoying that, that vice. And that applies to literally everything. Cigarettes are bad. Let's vape. Like... <laughs> I love how optimistic we all are about the human race. Um, <laughs> we read too much to be optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So I guess at this point, any other thoughts on updating it and changing it? How it would look different if H.G. Wells lived now and was writing the time machine? I mean, now it, it, it wouldn't have gotten read by anybody. It would only get famous once it has a film adaptation and <laughs> then everyone would have said that they read the book back when it first came out and they'd all be lying. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'm not this cynic. I, I, I'm an optimistic <laughs> person, but when it comes to this kind of thing, I just, that's how I see it. 
So at this point, I guess what we'd like to do, uh, dear listener, reader, group participant, is pitch our next read to you. So hopefully we've hooked you in with the time machine. And Jessica is going to pitch us her next book um, to get you interested in hopefully coming back to join us. Oh, God, I hope so, because I went really back and forth on which... So I, I read a, a good amount of young adults. So I figured my first book should be young adults. And one of my f- favorites that I've read in the last few years is one that I've wanted to make other people read. And now I have a good excuse to make other people read it. <laughs> so it's... Um, <laughs> what? I said, do you feel a bit like a guinea pig, Stephen? No, no, not at all. <laughs> you, you, you guys went and read the, the time machine for the I mean, first yeah. one. It I wasn't would, exactly I, a gentle first experience. I'm glad for this book because it did start this podcast. Basically, it was you just asking, hey, I want to read a time machine. Will you read it with me? And we're like, yeah. Let's, and I was like, book club, let's take a book club. So if I had, if I had known that was going to happen, I definitely would have chosen a different book. Um, so I, I didn't want to stay with sci-fi, but I ended up staying in sci-fi anyway. So the book that I am doing is Scythe by Neil Schusterman. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, it takes place far into the future. So yay, another future one. Um, but in this world, basically everything is run by an AI and humans are now immortal thanks to technology. And so it it deals with if everybody is immortal, how do you solve the problem of sustainability? And they solve the problem of sustainability with Scythes, which is a group of humans that have special I hope I'm pronouncing it wrong, right? Because I usually I know this I I know this book now. Yes. I know this 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 is a is this a series? It is a series. I Okay. It's really hard. The one issue I have with young adult books is it's impossible to find a single book of anything. Yeah. <laughs> like every every new, every yeah. new young adult series is like the first novel in the the Worthington franchise. Like the the Worthington saga. And yeah. I'm always like I don't fucking Yeah. This one thankfully <laughs> is is just a trilogy. So cuz I can't do a long series, but this this is just a trilogy, very satisfying trilogy, but I just I it's one of the ones where I don't love like futuristic stories too too much i don't dig them especially like dystopians or anything this one to me does a good job of keeping it realistic to the point that i'm like yes this is exactly how it'd be in the future so that's i'm super excited to get into it neil schusterman's a wonderful writer he has a couple other series that i have yet to be able to read yet that i know are actually also pretty good too so i'm very excited to make you guys read it and talk about it well awesome So hopefully everybody will join us for our next book, Scythe. So you've got a week to order it, go to your local bookstore and find it, support local bookstores. Um, And Jessica, good estimation. How many chapters do we want to read the first episode? I can't. And see, I had yet to be able to buy my copy yet. So I haven't been able to look at it. For those of you guys who are uh, like looking in to see what you have to do for your homework for next week, go to the Instagram. Yeah, I, we do have an Instagram page now. So it's just love of pages on Instagram. So feel free to follow. And that's where um, I'll be posting all the videos for the cocktails and mocktails as well. And just 
Any other in-between thoughts we have? (laughs) Yeah, and our homework assignment, so. Which I feel awful calling it a homework assignment. But, you know, we could all use a little homework sometimes. (laughs) You you need some homework to go go with your work from home. (laughs) Yeah. But um. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, Jessica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey Writes. Steven? You can find me across all social media as either Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gent for short. Fantastic. And you can find me and the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media, our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes, the one we have, <laughs> of this <laughs> podcast and other podcasts can be found at geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Geekling Media Network saying, always remember to. I have no idea. What I don't know. Doing. I don't know. What, what are we saying? <laughs> <laughs> what did we say last week? You, you guys, uh, for all of you guys out here that have joined us, uh, just like remember to always geek out and keep turning those pages. Keep turning those pages. Keep turning those pages. <laughs>